This is the Our Little Romance Book Club Podcast. I'm Tim. And I'm Ash. We're going to be exploring some of the best self-help books in the genre in our quest to level up in our personal lives so that we can show up stronger and more authentic in our marriage. So, whether you've been in a relationship for decades or days, come and grab our latest read and a cup of coffee and come learn how to level up yourself and your marriage. Welcome back to the Our Little Romance Book Club podcast. We are back for law number four, even your false beliefs are true. And so before we get into that, we are going to jump into the three questions that we answer on every podcast. And you guys probably can't hear it because he's trying to finish really quick, but Tim brought nuts in here to munch on knowing we were going to be recording the podcast. So that's pretty much, I think, the only conflict we've had this week. I thought she was going to wait until it's done. <sighs> but you me. brought food in after we talked about this. Anyways, that's pretty much the only conflict we've had this week, to be honest. It's been a pretty good week for us as far as, you know, getting along, being on a good... Sometimes you just jive. Like, you're just on a good wavelength, and there's not really anything that comes up that you feel like creates conflict. So... We didn't really have anything major that we fought about. So our second question, what was your best moment this week? Was it collectively? Well, I mean, we can answer separate if you want. I mean, I know what I think our best moment this week was, but I'm curious to know what you thought. Um, well, this isn't going to be your best moment, so I'll <laughs> say it. Um... No, the kids had their last day of school this week, and so our youngest is in pre-K, and her class did a little farewell thing where they sang a few songs and said goodbye in like 20 different languages. Um, Her teacher is really cool, like a really neat guy. So that was a lot of fun, and then we got to hang out with the other kids after school and take them out and got some donuts to celebrate, and it was just fun. Hanging out with them. And then yeah. I went back to work. <laughs> and then he went back. And then the best moment was over. <clears throat> Why was that the best moment for you? Oh, I just... It was a good time with our kids. Uh, I just enjoy those moments with our, with our kids where there's not electronics involved. And we can just hang out. And it seems like everyone's getting along okay. And just enjoying being with each other. Love it. I feel like my favorite moment for us this week, besides that, because that was a really good moment, was that we had a really awesome and productive planning session last night for a new project that we're going to be launching with our little romance. And um, it's just cool when you're working on something with your person, when you guys just kind of hit like a stride and you're just really firing all on all cylinders and ideas are flowing and you're kind of like yes no I totally agree and then you're building off of each other and so I felt like we kind of had that last night while we were planning so got in a flow state we did so that was that was my favorite moment from the week um I knew what, that I knew that was gonna be your favorite moment why <laughs> I don't know like just, how did you know well that's why I didn't say it <clears throat> oh okay well The last question that we do on each podcast is, what did you appreciate about your spouse this week? You go first. Crickets. 
<laughs> um, I appreciated on Friday that um, I had not slept super well the, the night before and woke up, just couldn't get up, could not even, could not even. So I really appreciated that Tim took the kids to school for me and let me sleep a little bit extra on Friday morning. That meant a lot that he didn't give me a hard time about it. He wasn't frustrated, at least not that I saw. And <laughs> um, he kind of picked up the slack and took the kids to school for me. So I appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Your turn. Um, so I think, you know, like Asher was saying last night, Mm-hmm. We had a really good conversation and we were talking a lot about, we were talking about men and, and marriage particularly, and we were talking about women and how can women encourage their men in marriage particularly to be vulnerable. And so um, I was just appreciative that Ashley has grown a lot in that area of learning how to encourage me to be vulnerable and giving me the space to do that. and. Um, I mean, not betraying my trust is like a bad way to phrase it, but just being trustworthy with that, with those. Um, so grown a lot, does that, is that like code for you used to really suck at this and now you're better? <laughs> no. She's it was, grown a lot. It was just <laughs> that we both had to grow a lot. No, in it's that, true. And it was just something that you never had to deal with because I tended not to be vulnerable. So when I started, it was like, a, okay, how do I, how do I deal with this? <clears throat> and it was just a learning process for both of us. So, yeah. But I appreciate that about you. Thank you. That's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, let's go ahead and dive into law number four even your false beliefs are true. All right, so law four. And this is a little paragraph underneath that says, the beliefs you hold and the stories you tell yourself shape your internal model of reality. When, you, when your model is wrong, you build broken habits and make decisions that don't create what you want. You suffer. A flexible mind changes itself and builds a better model as it gathers more data about reality. Build a flexible mind with the built-in habit of questioning your assumptions about reality so you can grow. All right, so first impressions. What did you think of this particular section? Love it, hate it? Do you find it like challenging? Yeah, I really liked it. Uh, I thought it had, I guess just personally, and I feel like one of the other chapters talked about this, but just talking about how your thoughts about yourself or other people shape your reality, right? So I mean, two people can look at the same exact event and perceive it di differently even though the same exact things happen right and it can make one person happy and one person sad and it's just all these filters that you create inside your brain and the way that your brain interprets events and i think that's just really powerful and trying to figure out how you can better use those aspects of your brain for your benefit, right? So instead of seeing all the negatives that you start seeing positives or instead of interpreting things as a slight to you, you can focus on your strengths and how to do that better. I like, I like that aspect of it. Yeah. And I feel like it has a really easy 
maybe not easy to implement, but a really easy to understand application for relationships in that, like you said, the same exact situation can happen to both spouses Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and one of them might perceive the situation as offensive or as triggering and the other spouse might not see an issue with it at all right um and that's something that you know you and i have been delving into a lot lately is sort of trying to not necessarily swap glasses but understand better the lens through which your spouse is seeing these situations and understanding why they're seeing that situation as offensive or triggering or why maybe they're they're approaching that situation with little emotion or no reaction and i can think of a lot of different situations that we've been through Mm -hmm. in our marriage where something happened and i didn't think it was a big deal at all and you were very frustrated by the situation or triggered or and vice versa you know and so i think this really helps support the idea that you know that your reality doesn't necessarily match a what happened but b the way that your partner is perceiving it as well yeah i mean it's just so i think a lot of times we just don't take the time to sit and think about it enough right and people are just letting things happen you know they're basically well i don't know how to say it life just happens to them instead of them taking hold of their life i guess is right you know being conscious about it and trying to change those assumptions that your brain is Mm -hmm. making i mean they're there because they worked for you in a particular circumstance or because your brain you know your animal brain thought that that's what you needed to survive or fit in or Right, but at some point you become an adult and now those things are different, but your brain hasn't changed and those assumptions that your brain makes hasn't changed. So you got to figure out what those are so you can change it. So. And I think another thing that you and I have been talking a lot about lately is how to help people change their perspective on marriage in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that kind of ties in really well with what this particular law deals with and there's a quote that i liked in here that essentially says authority figures our society and culture our education systems and the observations we make as children indoctrinate such beliefs into us at a very young age and if we allow them to go unquestioned they can have hugely detrimental impact on our lives and so if you take a look at what society says marriage is if you grew up watching sitcoms and you know, all of the rom-coms and the movies where marriages or relationships in general were portrayed as this tug of war between the sexes or, Mm -hmm. you know, the men were lazy, good for nothings and stupid and it was the wife's responsibility to carry everything and, and, you know, there's a ton of, you know, false beliefs and, and just, you know, lies that I think our society has perpetuated, but it also comes from what your personal experience was. So, you know, if you had parents who were divorced or you had parents who had a really tumultuous relationship, of course that's going to shape your idea about marriage. And I think sometimes that's a conversation that kind of gets skipped over a little bit, you know, in the premarital phase and even in the marriage. Yeah, so I think, I don't know that we 
really summarize the point of this this chapter yet. I think we just got into it, but I, I think the point is that the you have a lot of control over the way that you perceive events. Um, so I mean, just a very concrete example that he gave in the book was one of the individuals that Dave Asprey had interviewed when he grew up. He had very pronounced uh, facial features, like he had a big nose and he had more hair, and so people were calling him names, and so he just grew up <clears throat> with this idea that I'm ugly, right? And so the, everything, things that happened, interactions that happened with him, right, were perceived through that filter that I'm ugly. And so the point of this is just realizing those a lot of them, I think, are just negative, limiting self-beliefs, identifying them and changing them. And, you know, I think maybe some other people have had this issue um, from their childhood, and I, know, and I know that you do too, is you were taught that basically you shouldn't, I don't know, I feel like you were taught that you should never say anything positive about yourself because then that was pride. I think, yeah, I think it's a fine line for sure. I think, yeah. Like if you ever said like, oh, I'm really good at that. Your parents would have been like, oh, Ashley, no, like it's okay for other people to say it about about you, you, but but it's not okay to say it about yourself. Because that would be considered arrogance. Right. Sure. Um, And so I think it's tough for me because my initial thing is my initial reaction is to say no you know, I shouldn't be telling myself, oh, you're a great father, you're a great husband, you're a great attorney, because that means what? That means, I don't know. I don't know what that means. I don't know what's bad about saying those things. Right. Um, well, it's, you know, one of the seven deadly sins is pride, right? And so you're kind of, you try to avoid pride, but then I think it's difficult, I think, when you grow up in the, you know, the Judeo-Christian traditional world where any sort of self-affirmation for the most part I would say and and I didn't just get that at home I also got that at church and at you know um you know Christian camps and clubs and things like that it was kind of like you know you only allow you only allow others so and I understand where that came from you know, as an adult, I can kind of see where they were going with that, but yeah. it also reinforced the idea that others defined my value and mm. that others defined my worth. I mean, besides, you know, God and whatnot, like in a more practical, tangible sense, you know, I was constantly trying to please others because they were supposed to tell me how great I was, not myself. Yeah, and I think maybe it's, it's hard for people to disassociate positive self-talk with comparing yourself to other people. So I think right. in this culture, and I think probably just generally always, it's been the case that when I say, if I'm evaluating myself as a father, it's easy for me to look at other people that I know that are fathers and try to assess. Okay, right. well, instead of just self-assessing, Right. Or saying like, okay, these are the characteristics I want to have as a father and based on my own criteria, not based on looking at anyone else, you know, I'm a good father. And so I think the pride comes in when you're saying, 
oh, I'm so much better than that person, right? Or, right. or I'm a good father because at least because I'm not as bad people. as this person right. or, you know. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that's a healthy way to look at it is just to say, okay, it doesn't change the way that I'm interacting with other people. And it actually only, I think, makes those relationships better with your children or with your spouse um, because my experience has been if you're whatever you're focusing on is what you're more likely to do Mm -hmm. right so if you keep focusing on oh I can't yell at my kids I shouldn't yell at my kids I shouldn't yell at my kids I shouldn't yell at my kids right you're gonna yell at your kid I mean like that's what you're thinking about like right it's almost a self-perpetuating thing um and so I think if your outlook is more positive then that's going to come across. I mean, I don't, it seems very, not very well defined, but that's, I think, um, the benefit of it. And I think that's, there's a lot of pros to it. It's not being blind to your own downfalls. No, not at all. And I think it, so they refer to that, um, sort of reprogramming, if you will, as neuroplasticity. And so neuroplasticity essentially just means that we're able to swap out negative or limiting beliefs for belief that will serve us better. And so I don't have the list in front of me right now, but um, just for coaching and such, I printed out this list of a bunch of limiting beliefs or negative beliefs. And it's everything from super common ones that we, they're like stories that we tell ourselves, or the, you know, the filters we have on, mm-hmm. you know, the goggles we have on, whatever, but things like I'm not good enough or I get my worth from others or I'm not safe or I can't be trusted. So it's all of these like negative things that maybe your conscious mind doesn't necessarily, you don't necessarily sit and say those to yourself word for word, but that's kind of the prevailing attitude behind the way you make decisions, the way you talk to yourself, the way you interact with your spouse, the way you interact with your kids And so neuroplasticity is, in a sense, being able to take that limiting belief or that negative cognition and swap it for truth and swap it for something that is true. Um, And so, you know, I kind of like how they put it in. And I'm not really a computer person, but, like, this makes sense to me that, like, you know, when you have a computer, there's times when you have to like upgrade the software, right? Mm -hmm. And there's times when you have to swap it out for something new, something updated. And so it's a lot like that. Like you're born with something specific. You're collecting ideas, you're collecting cognitions, you're collecting the way that you see yourself in the world and the way you see others in the world through your whole childhood and through your whole life. But you have to be able to have flexibility in your thoughts and in the way that you're perceiving the world so that you're not stuck in a reality that doesn't serve you and that doesn't help make things better yeah i mean it's a crazy idea i think that not a lot of people think about to sit and say okay yeah i I have these thoughts about myself where did those come from okay in middle school this thing happened or a teacher told me you know like you i was never going to be you know i'm never going to be good at math yeah. But it's like... I had that, that in first grade. Can you imagine? A, yeah, my first grade teacher, I was struggling or, you know, having a hard time with math at some point in first grade. And, and I don't remember this super vividly, but my mom does. And um, 
you know, my teacher was like, you're just, she got frustrated with me because I, I wasn't getting something. And I struggle with anxiety and I have since I was a child. And so if you struggle with anxiety, you know that if you don't know the answer to something and someone's pushing you to give you an answer, your mind goes blank. And so even if you know the concepts, even if you know the answer, your brain physically can't come up with the answer because you have anxiety and because you're, you know, in your anxious mind at the time. And so that's what had happened to me, I'm sure. Um, and so I blanked and she just kind of was like, ugh, you're just not good at math. Like you're just bad at this. And so sure enough, I had that in my brain for years and years and years. And I finally had to deal with that and accept the fact that math truly is not my strong suit, but that's by choice. I don't, I don't choose to to enjoy math. So I don't choose to have that as a strength, but I don't tell, I try not to tell the kids to reinforce that about myself. You know, I try, you know, when they were in school or when, when they started school, I tried to reframe that and say, you know, I will help you with this. This is what I enjoy doing. Daddy will help you with your math homework. Cause he's, you know, he likes to do that. Right. Um, instead of being like, Oh, mom's terrible at math. You know, like I just didn't want to reinforce that. Right. Well, it's just crazy to think that something like that you that happened as a kid like is that really the way that you want to view yourself and your reality now right but like what does that have to do with me mm -hmm. right but your brain has like connected that to part of your identity like part of yourself this is me you know i'm not right. good at math or i'm ugly or i'm never gonna get that job or i'm never gonna make a sale or you know like i'm not worthy of love all these things happened because you're you're not consciously right you didn't consciously adopt that negative cognition it was your brain adopted it based on a variety of circumstances because it was trying to help you survive yeah. all right guys we're gonna take a quick break and go deal with the kids that are kind of raising hell in the background <laughs> so we will be right back <laughs> Okay, we are back. Um, so one of the things that they recommend sort of trying to overhaul is some of your automatic behaviors, which are also known as habits. And so one of the signs, I guess, that you need to upgrade your hardwiring is if you have a lot of automatic responses to things. Um, this is not necessarily habits like brushing your teeth, you know, meditating, although that can be something that you can add, but this is more of like, if somebody says something that makes you upset, there's what they call a meta, a meta, meta moment, which is between the trigger and the response mm -hmm. in which you have that sliver of opportunity to decide, am I going to downwire, which is like, am I going to respond automatically which is to snap at the person and be like you know why would you say that that you know that really made me mad or you know whatever or I'm trying not to use super colorful words um or you can what they call upwire which is responding intentionally and saying mm -hmm. you know hey I really didn't appreciate that um can we go back and review that and see you know what went wrong but I think a lot of it has to do with self-reflection, not so much conflict resolution techniques as it is 
looking at yourself first mm. and being like, okay, well, why did that comment upset me? Um, right. And so, you know, when you lean into those possibilities and become different with the intention to get better, that's essentially what upwiring is. Mm -hmm. And so anytime that you're able to identify those moments when you can prevent an automatic response and instead guide yourself in a better direction, that's upwiring. And that's right. the goal to shoot for. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think, I mean, just for Ashley and I, it happened before we read this, but as I was going through counseling, there was a lot of those moments where, you know, I realized there were situations in which my reactions didn't, I was, my emotions didn't measure up to the severity of a situation. And so I had the opportunity to sit and think about why that might be. And it gave us a lot of opportunity to talk and to share and, you know, for Ashley to know a little bit more about my history and my childhood and things that have happened and reasons why I may respond the way that I do in certain situations. And so as a couple, it gives you an opportunity to learn things about each other that you probably never shared or didn't even think to share with one another. And that can, you know, increase, increase your intimacy and just feel like, you know, that person better. Or even if it's something you have shared, I think being able to share something again with intention to say, you already know this story, but this explains why. Like when this happened, that's how I reacted. That's how I felt in the moment. And so when you do X, Y, Z, that triggers my response, you know, my automatic response from childhood. And so obviously you don't want to get to the point with your spouse where you feel like you're constantly walking on eggshells and you're tiptoeing around each other all the time. Right. But this is a whole different level, I think, of intimacy and really diving deep and knowing the other person well enough to know that, you know, Tim knows not to raise his voice at me above a certain level, even if it's in excitement or joy. Um, because that triggers my PTSD. Um, and I know, you know, certain things to avoid with him that, you know, triggers uncomfortable feelings for him. And so, you know, it just allows you to be more loving and more gracious with your spouse when you can see that they're having a hard time. Um, because sometimes, you know, I think especially if you have a spouse, I'm sorry if you guys can hear our dog barking. Oh, barrister. Um, I think sometimes if you have a spouse that deals with mental illness, they can't always articulate exactly what's going on in their head or they don't really have much of an explanation for you, except I'm sorry, this is just anxiety talking and I don't really understand it. But I think for the most part, if you're able to ride that out and then maybe try to go back and revisit that when they're not in the middle of, of anxiety, you're going to find out a lot more about who they are, how they grew up, what traumas they've had in the past. And that's going to help you navigate those waters more carefully in the future. Yeah. And when you hit those situations, I mean, there's twofold. I mean, sometimes it is something that, you know, the individual can upregulate and change, you know, whatever their negative self-talk might be. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's such a deep-seated issue that it's going to take a while and so 
you know, the other spouse can change voluntarily the way that they interact, you know, consciously and intentionally to not upset the other person or, you know, trigger those things that happen. So I think, I mean, you can disagree, you know, let me know if you disagree or not, but there's just instances where it's like, okay, you don't have to change. Like you said, you know, you don't want to feel like you're walking on eggshells all the time. There's certain things that you can acknowledge, like it's not a big deal. I understand this. You know, I grew up X, Y, Z. I'm trying to change my frame of mind to know that these things are okay. Or when you do this, it doesn't mean X or, you know. Yeah. I know that, I know that we've had some conflict around that in the past and the thing that comes to mind for me around that issue precisely is how we argue or how we you know mm. quote unquote fight right and i tend to be not loud but i tend to be much more combative mm -hmm. i tend to be more outspoken um and tim i mean you know opposites attract so tim is pretty I don't know if you're genuinely the opposite of that or if you just have a lot more restraint and show a lot more restraint than I do. I think that's probably the case. Yeah. And so we've had conflict around the way that we fight in the past. And one of the things that I know that I've said in the past is, well, this is just how I talk. This is just how I am in conflict. Like, get over it. And, you know, that's not fair, you know. So I think... <laughs> I think as a couple, you have to hash things, things out because, you know, there's a reason I am the way that I am in conflict, but that doesn't mean necessarily that it's not something that I don't need to work on. Right. And that that's not something that I need to do better and improve upon. But at the same time, you know, it is helpful for Tim to understand why I am the way that I am when it comes to that because I don't know do you take it less personally in that way? I don't, I don't know that we've ever had a conversation as to why you're like that in conflict I thought we had I'm not prepared to have it right this yeah. second well, maybe we'll have to have it later on the podcast <laughs> we can talk about that about what we fought about next week um, <laughs> stay tuned right no yeah so I'm just saying that sometimes every situation is different but yeah you know having these trying to have take a moment for both of you and your partner to sit and think about these events and why they may be the way that they are and how to work through that you know I think it's just the point here yeah. and to the extent that you can change your own self-talk and the way that you're perceiving things that you know is great I mean I think the biggest thing a lot of times with your spouse I mean you would hope that you would expect the best from your spouse and when they say things that they don't mean it in a mean or demeaning or derogatory way but sometimes it seems like that's the hardest to do and you at least me personally is quick to assume the worst out of the intentions of my spouse instead of the best and I think that's one of the things that I'm just continuing to work on to and think about where that comes from but also just changing changing the language in which you talk to yourself about it yeah and I think that's been huge for us, too. Um, I don't remember exactly when this started. I want to say it was probably when we were living in Maricopa, shortly after we joined the church that we were attending down there, and they were doing a series on marriage. And one of the things that really 
like resonated with me and something that I 100% believed in but didn't really have words for or didn't really have an analogy for until they said it was that, you know, you and your spouse should always be fighting for your marriage and not in your marriage. Like you should, at the end of the day, always remember that you're on the same team. Right. And so I think that that's something that we've taken in ourselves and upwired our thinking so that we're not combative at each other you know that doesn't mean that we don't argue it doesn't mean that we don't bicker it doesn't mean that we don't fight about things but that means that the undertone or the undercurrent of all of that is unity and is the fact that at the end of the day it's not tim against ashley it's tim and ashley against whatever's going on tim and ash against the world it's us (laughs) against the world baby all right I think we're going to go ahead and wrap this one up. The dog is going to bust our door down and our kids are probably at the end of their attention span for whatever Disney movie we have on tonight. <laughs> it's up. Are they still watching up? Yeah. Yeah. That's an emotionally heavy one. Right. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on before we sign off? Oh, I don't know. I feel like we could spend a long time talking about this particular section. Yeah. And it excites me, you guys, because we do have a fun project coming up soon. That really is going to be, I mean, this part of what we're reading here in Game Changers is going to be a big part of it. Um, And, you know, about getting vulnerable with your spouse, understanding each other on a deeper level, all that. So, yeah, we don't want to give too much away yet because... We try to keep some air of mystery, and I don't know. We try to be cool. doesn't work out very well. We went to dinner like a month ago with these couples from church who are younger than us, and we thought, friends, peers, and we felt we left there. I think everybody had a good time, but we left there, and we felt so old. And we're not that old. No. Like, I'm 32. You're going to be 33 this year. I feel like maybe there's some negative cognitions going on. <laughs> Shut it. And we're misinterpreting people's silence. I Yeah, I'm really bad about that. All right, guys. Next week, we're going to be talking about Law 5, which is a high IQ doesn't make you intelligent, but learning does. And if you're Tim, you got a double whammy because he's got a high IQ and he loves learning. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about that. How do you? I've never taken an IQ test. I don't think I would score very highly. <laughs> Says someone who'd probably like ace the ace the IQ ace test. Ace the IQ test? I, yeah. I don't think that's how it works. Well, then that just shows you my IQ. <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. Peace. If you guys enjoyed this week's podcast episode, we want to thank you for joining us. Please go ahead and subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest episodes right when they drop. Um, If you guys want to find us on social media, we are, as always, on Instagram at Our Little Romance, on our website, ourlittleromance.com. We are also on Facebook as well. Pretty much you can just Google Our Little Romance and all of our stuff will come up. So find us on your desired platform and we will see you next time.